Hello and welcome to this podcast brought to you by Argus Media, our leading independent provider of energy and commodity pricing information. As SAF is emerging as one of the key biofuels, airlines, suppliers and companies servicing them, we must learn about technology pathways, approved feedstocks and new regulation. All these elements are changing the classic picture of procuring and distributing jet fuel. My name is Alfonso Barocal, European Business Development Manager for Oil Products at Argus Media. And to better understand the new picture, we have with us here today Oscar Majeging, Team Lead for Future Fields at Sky Energy. Good afternoon, Oscar. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Uh, Oscar, let's start the podcast looking at projected SAF production capacity in Europe for 2025 and 2030. And let's compare it with the uh, demand forecast coming from the European uh, and UK mandates and potentially from the corporate sector. Do you think that the uh, physical SAF production will meet this demand? Yeah, good question. Um, I think... It's good to understand and, and maybe split that question into indeed the demand and the supply side. So the demand is indeed currently driven by voluntary programs. So where corporates and also airlines uh, are willing to fly and pay a premium for, for the SOF. Um, this is about to change from 2025 onwards with the mandates coming in place. Right. So a number of, of countries in Europe have already established that. Uh, and most important recently, the Refuel EU Aviation Initiative, uh, which was a part of the Fit for 55 package in Europe, um, established an outlook for mandates uh, European-wide. And I think the UK will also look at that and, and will match that system in, in one way or another. So on that market demand side, you see a shift from voluntary programs to mandated programs. And um, that will create mandates starting from, let's say, 2% um, in 2025 to, to goods over 60% in, in 2050. And if you then look at what could fulfill that demand in terms of supply, I think on that short term, I think 2025 and 2030 are both short-term, uh, let's say, timeframes in, in building facilities uh, five or 10 years is quite close. Um, so on that short term, I would say almost all the volume will come from HEFA-based facilities or HVO plants. So with a feedstock from waste, oils and fats. And uh, there are there is already quite some capacity out there uh, which could produce jet fuel, but currently produces renewable diesel. And these facilities need some modifications, but eventually can produce the, the soft volumes necessary for that uh, 2025 and then also the 2030 timeframe. So I think uh, that 2% in 2025 and 5% in 2030 can be fulfilled with what is out there and what is being announced, right? We see a lot of announcements in this field. Um, and, and then after that, it will be scaled up. Uh, but until that, it will probably mostly 80, 90% based uh, on, on the HEFA pathway, HVO pathway, maybe added a little bit with some alcohol to jet facilities uh, and potentially power to liquids until 2030. But let's uh, keep that question for or keep that subject for now. 
All right. Uh, so speaking, uh, talking about facilities, uh, Sky Energy has plans to to build a uh, uh, soft production capacity in the Netherlands. Uh, which which you will use potentially Yuko as a as a feedstock producing uh, Hefasaf you already mentioned, which is uh, one of the approved technology pathways. Um, could you explain us uh, primarily uh, primarily for for uh, uh, airlines uh, who who are are very used to uh, uh, to fuel using jet fuel fossil conventional jet fuel, which are the the key differentiators between uh, uh, refining crude oil. To obtain uh, fossil jet fuel, I'm producing Hefasaf. Yeah, yeah, we are indeed planning a production facility in the Netherlands based on waste oils, which you could be uh, one of the feedstocks. Could also be other waste oils. And the difference lay obviously in the feedstock, where in your waste oils originally from vegetables often contain oxygen. So there is there is an oxygen component that needs to be taken out and the molecule uh, is, is not the right molecule, let's say, very simply put. So you need to refine that product similar as you do with oil uh, or, or crude oil, uh, but, but slightly different in terms of the catalyst you use because you need to take out the, the oxygen and you then need to do some um, isomerization uh, and some cracking. Uh, to get the right circumstances, and you do that with, uh, in, in principle, a hydrogen uh, feed fat catalyst. Um, so that's the technical side. On the output side, you're producing a product that's very similar to uh, your fossil or your conventional jet fuel, and it needs blending mostly for uh, some some parameters that need adjustment. For example, with HEFA or HVO-based stuff, there's there's virtually no aromatics in the fuel, which is a requirement in, in the final product. So therefore, you need to blend. And uh, at the moment, for HEFA-based fuel, that's 50%. It's depending on the pathway. As you said, there's about seven approved, um, but most are 50% uh, blending, have a 50% blending limit. Um, and then, it is after blending, it's certified against the same ASTM standard, and it can be used in the same systems, same pipelines, same storage systems, and also same aircraft. So in that sense, with the past 10 years of experience, we've, we've shown on, on all the continents in the world with many aircraft and many flights that there is no issue whatsoever in, in using this product uh, compared to your conventional jet fuel. Quite the contrary, there is quite some benefits also in, in local air quality, efficiency, and obviously the CO2 benefits that you can achieve. All right, um, you you hinted a little bit already the uh, the uh, the answer on, on the first on the first question, but but if we look at the different uh, array of technologies um, that that they're present now in the market, uh, what will be the uh, you think the uh, the technology or technologies pathways that you see dominant within the first next year in the short term, let's say, and and if, would you venture to forecast uh, what would be the technology pathway uh, that that actually will reign in the market uh, uh, from 2030 onwards? Yeah, good question. I we don't expect that there will be a similar dominant technology reigning the entire industry, right? I think it will be a combination of the technologies, 
uh, and we need all these technologies to convert the variety of feedstock pockets that we see. So in the beginning, that will mostly be HVO based on waste oils and fats. Um, I think that's that's one. That's for the first, uh, let's say, 10 years uh, until 2030 will be the dominant technology. Then after that, and, and parallel to that, quickly the, the biomass-based pathways will come in play. And there's multiple solutions for that, uh, either alcohol-based uh, pathways and then alcohol to jet, or maybe the fisher drop system um, can all be used to convert. And also the pyrolysis and, and HTL pathways could play a role in converting biomass residues towards sustainable aviation fuels. And these, let's say, advanced biofuels play a big role under the, uh, the mandated um, demand volumes as well. And then I think the third pocket, which is which gets a lot of attention, is the, the power to liquids pathway or e-fuels pathway, as we call it, where you start with a CO2 source and, and use hydrogen uh, and therefore uh, electricity. Uh, it needs to be green hydrogen, obviously, from a sustainability perspective. So you need a lot of electricity um, and that combination of, of CO2 and renewable hydrogen uh, can be fed into different systems. Again, uh, alcohol fermentation or gas fermentation is, a, is, a, is an option, but definitely also fish trolls. Uh, so that power to liquids pathway will play a play a major role from, let's say, the 2030 onwards timeframe. And then uh, it will probably take, well, the mandate, there's a sub-target for, for uh, power to liquids, and it will eventually um, fulfill at least half of the volume. So uh, yeah, that those three pockets we see where scalability on HEFA is limited, but the other two uh, will fulfill most of the demand after that. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks, Oscar. Super interesting, actually. Um, thank you for that. Um, uh, historically, uh, oil refineries, uh, they, they've been producing, they produce the fossil jet fuel and sell it to airlines directly or through through traders, distributors, and this is the classic picture uh, uh, where the product is, uh, is sold mostly on a, on a tender basis or on a spot basis. Uh, do you think that with these uh, new different emerging technologies and feedstocks and players, uh, is this provoking or can provoke a change in the profile of the market participants and actually it could even change the type of contractual relationships, uh, the, the, the usual typical contractual relationships between buyer and seller? Yes, good question. Uh, I think it's very interesting and, and you see it already happening in the market uh, where traditionally, obviously, as you say, the market was between players that collect or, or, or uh, get the oil from the ground and refine it and sell it. And with these new uh, pathway, so to say, you also see new players being involved. So for for uh, pathways that are very dependent on, on certain feedstocks, the feedstock players uh, are different than the traditional oil players, and, and they could play a role in this market, right? So I think you see differences starting from the feedstock side, uh, and then also for airlines, it will be different that they might be mandated in certain certain circumstances to use these these fuels and and for that uh, to hedge against that risk of, of being posed with very high prices they might uh, consider 
taking part in, in developing facilities or taking part in, in, in different contracting structures uh, to hedge against that risk. And, and one other example is obviously that the power to liquids pathway, as I was just discussing, is, is very heavily dependent on, on electricity. And the electricity markets uh, also uh, are, are often led by large players that might see an interest to, to broaden their efforts from only electricity markets also to these fuel markets with the power to liquids pathway. But it's to be seen how that turns out. But I definitely expect there will be a bit of a shakeup with, with different partners trying to join the market or different players um, or existing players maybe missing out on this market. Yeah, thank you, Oscar. Ex exciting times uh, ahead of us. Um, and, and finally, um, uh, to wrap up the uh, the, the podcast, uh, with um, with the COP26 taking place this uh, November, uh, what developments do we expect, if any, in regards to the uh, Article 6 of the Paris Agreement uh, that could have a positive impact in the in the production and demand of SAF in the in the future. Yeah, good question. I think what is very important to to state here is that aviation is excluded from the Paris Agreement. So in principle, it it does not affect, uh, and and therefore to do something about sustainability, the aviation industry has created its own system, which is called Corsia. Um, it's a carbon offsetting mechanism where SOF is also included. That's not per se the biggest driver for SOF because of the, the way that system has been established. But there is a very clear need for um, certification right? to avoid. And I think that's also what Article 6 is about, to be able to uh, use uh, emission saving somewhere where it's more difficult um, and, and but also avoid double counting and for aviation that's that's one thing established under Corsia but another thing which is really important is to establish a system where the scope one and scope three emissions can be uh, used and allocated to the partners uh, either flying and therefore using and, and so airlines using scope one emissions but also the corporate clients that fly for their business travel and where they are uh, considered scope three emissions. And it is a very nice, let's say, interplayed system where you want to use these both systems, uh, but you need to be very careful in how to certify that to avoid double counting, of course. And there's a very interesting effort under the World Economic Forum, under the, the Clean Skies for Tomorrow initiative, which is called SOFT-C, uh, SOFT Certificate Playbook. And, and there we are involved with a lot of partners from both corporate side, but also airlines and, and, and uh, project developers and, and, and uh, fuel owners to develop a system that is recognized on a worldwide basis, how to allocate these emissions and how to allocate scope one and three emissions um, and, and make sure there's no double counting and, and make sure that you can use these emissions um, all over the place, let's say. All right, all right. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Oscar, for uh, for sharing your knowledge. Um, and, and thank you, and thank you all for tuning in into this podcast. And if you're interested in following 
the latest news and prices about the jet fuel and sub market, uh, please do not hesitate to log on, log on into the Argus website. Uh, and again, thank you, Oscar, and stay safe and see you next time. Thank you very much.